morning. I'd ask you to return in your Bibles back to the book of Acts. Good to be back. I appreciate uh, Jeff and Ron who filled in while we had a family vacation and tried a little winter vacation. Thought we'd get to some warm weather, but that didn't work. But we were all together as a family, and that was good. And, uh, and I appreciate that. I appreciate Ron and Jeff opening the word. A little tough. Ron set a high bar preaching through a whole book in one Sunday. But uh, so we're going to finish Acts today. <laughs> a little competitive streak in me. <laughs> no, teasing. But, uh, but this morning we're going to be back in Acts, looking at Acts chapter 4. And I'm excited to be back into this story, into this account, and back into our study of Acts. If this is your first Sunday here, we're studying the book of Acts, and we're going through it thought by thought. And I'm excited for us to be able to be in this wonderful book. But uh, before we jump in, I just would like to pray. So would you just bow your head with me as I pray? Father, thank you for the privilege of just being able to worship you, to think about how your great authority and sovereignty over this world. I pray, Lord, that that would truly encourage us this morning as we seek to align our hearts and our minds to you. We get out of tune so quickly, and I just am grateful that we have a moment together to align ourselves to your word. I pray that that would happen this morning, and that as we do that, we would grow in our love for you and our love for others. So thank you for the privilege of being here and this moment that we have to be in your word. What a gift. I just thank you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. On uh, June 22nd, 1555, there was a man by the name of Derek Carver who was burned at the stake in Sussex, England. He was arrested in October of 1554 along with three other men. And there were a few reasons why he was arrested. They were arrested. They were holding Bible studies in their home. And in those Bible studies, they had taken the Latin Bible, translated it into English. And, uh, and so they had an English Bible, which was illegal at that point in time. They had written their own hymns and their own songs, and they were singing those songs. And, of course, they were having Bible studies around this, their English Bible. And so they were meeting together, having these Bible studies, singing their songs. They were arrested. They were brought before uh, a court... And, uh, and, and here's what Derek said at this court when he was brought up on charges of blasphemy. Uh, he, he just basically stood up and, and said, listen, I want to just tell you that I believe in the cross. I believe that when Jesus died, he died there. That cross was sufficient. I believe that I go directly to him. I don't have to go to a priest. I don't believe that in your ceremonies is, is salvation in and of itself. I believe salvation is in Christ alone. And he just stood there boldly proclaiming the gospel. Boldly proclaiming what he believed. Well, eventually he was found guilty. And uh, he was given one last chance to recant. And, uh, and so they brought him before this, this council. And they said, you got you know, one shot here. If, if you recant, we won't kill you. But if not, we're going to burn you at the stake. And here was what is recorded that what he said... He told the religious leaders, he said, your doctrine is poison and sorcery. If Christ were here, you'd put him to a worse death than he was put to before. Your ceremonies in the church are beggary and poison. And your confession is contrary to God's word. You are poison. 
This is like a bold guy, right? So they, they burned him. They put him up at the stake. As they put him up in the stake, they said that, uh, you know, that what they would do is they'd put all the, the wood and everything around the guys, and they'd put them on the posts there, and they kind of tie them up to the post. They light the fire, and everybody just sits around and watches the guy burn alive. And, uh, and so this is going on, and they, they found his Bible that he had translated, and they had tossed it into the fire. And uh, he reached down, apparently, picked up the Bible and tossed it out to the people. And the, uh, the guards were there saying, hey, whoever has that Bible, you better give it back. And uh, if not, we're going to find you and toss you into this fire. And, uh, and so apparently what Derek Carver does, he announced to the people, right, as, as, the, as they're trying to find this Bible... The soldiers are trying to find the Bible. This is what Derek Carver is preaching as he's beginning the process of being burned alive. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, I'm here to deal, to deal Christ's gospel with my blood because I know it's true. You know the gospel. It's been preached to you here and now. It's been preached all over England, even though it is not preached by these men. Because I will not deny God's gospel to obey man's laws, I'm condemned to die. Dear brothers and sisters, if you believe in the Father, if you believe in the Son, if you believe in the Holy Ghost, please do the works of those beliefs and you'll have everlasting life. But if you believe what these men teach, you're condemned. Unless God has mercy on you, you'll burn forever in hell. That's a bold guy, right? This is what he's preaching as he's being burned at the stake. Now, you hear a story like that, and it's easy to just go, Wow, that is so not me, right? <laughs> right? Isn't that true? Like sometimes, you know, I share these kind of stories and people go, why do you share stories of people like that? Right? I mean, like, I cannot identify with being burned. Al- I mean, seriously, you know, I'd be just thinking, I'd be going, ah, this hurts, right? <laughs> Would I have the presence of mind to be proclaiming with boldness? I was th- now, I share you this story because the point of the story is, do not, is, not, to be, uh, is not this. Be like Derek Carver. Okay, that's not the point of the story. But the point of the story is to illustrate something. A very simple point. Boldness. Boldness is not a spiritual gift. It's a spiritual fruit. This is the fruit of something in his life. There was a commitment that Derek Carver had and those three other guys that were burned at the stake. There's a commitment that those three men had. And as a result of that commitment, boldness became the fruit. So the reality is that we can be like Derek Carver. But the key is to understanding what is the fundamental commitment that anchored people like Derek Carver. Well, this is really what is what we see here in Acts chapter 4. We're going to see what happens when Peter and John are released from prison and they, they are released to go back. We're going to see the response of the church to the first persecution that came their way. And we're going to see that faith and love were their response. Faith in the word of God, and we'll see what that means, and love for the people of God. And I would say this, that anytime I look at my own life, 
And I look at if it's spiritually quaking, if it's spiritually crumbling around me, if I'm kind of looking and saying, I am just not right with God, everything is wrong, I'm in a bad place right now, I can go back and ask myself, have I spent my time tuning myself to the Word of God, and have I committed my life to loving the people of God? And if I just, if I really look honestly, I can see times when I'm not tuning myself to the Word of God, and I've allowed bitterness towards other people to own my heart, and then all of a sudden, I'm not enduring. And I'm running. And I'm running away from God. And I don't have endurance. And I'm quick to compromise. So, we're going to see this, this church, we're going to see their faith and their love. And we're going to see exactly how this drove them to do something that is the most profound thing. When they were threatened with death, right? When they were threatened by the religious leaders, if you proclaim Jesus, you will die. We will kill you. Their response was, God, make us more bold. Bring boldness to our life. Instead of, God, make this go away. We're going to see this, but we're going to see it flow out of their commitments. And that's what I want us to see today. So, let's look here at faith in the Word of God. It's been a while since we've been in Acts. A long time since we've been in Acts. So let me set the table for us of where we're at in the story of Acts. Peter and John have went to, a t- went to the temple for prayer. Every day, people went to the temple for prayer. They were making their way into the temple. There was a lame man. He's looking for money, and they say, we have no money, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to heal you. And so they heal him in the name of Jesus. The guy gets up. He starts dancing around, jumping around the place. Everybody's in awe. And so Peter begins to preach to the people, saying, we didn't heal this guy. Jesus did. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. The religious leaders are like, okay, We don't like this message. We hate Jesus. We don't want to hear that he's been raised from the dead. So they arrest Peter and John, put them up before a council, start pressing them. Peter and John are remaining bold in front of the council. So finally the council gathers together, tries to figure out what to do. Their strategy is this. If we do kill these guys, we'll have a riot on our hands, so let's threaten them with death. Now this council that Peter and John... uh, stood in front of was the very same council that arrested Jesus. Same men. Exact same men. So you know one thing about these guys. They have no problem putting kangaroo courts together and killing people. These guys are wicked men. So they're standing before the same guys and they say, you are forbidden from proclaiming Jesus. Forbidden. Don't mess with us. And they leave. Now, and they send them out of prison. That's where our story picks up. This is where we are now in verse 23. It says, when they were released, so they're released from prison. Now, mind you, they've been threatened to not proclaim Jesus. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, They lifted up their voices together to God and said, now we'll stop there. They come back, they tell everybody what's happened, you know, knowing that, you know, Jesus has commissioned them to go out and preach. They know that they're being watched by the authorities, so this is a pretty intense moment. They go out there, they tell the people what had happened to them, and the very first thing the people do is they pray. That is their first response to this crisis. 
They didn't stockpile weapons, right? They didn't create an army to take down the Roman government or the, the Jewish government. They didn't run. They didn't bury themselves in a cave somewhere. They, right? There's a, they didn't do any of the things that your flesh would want to do, either run and hide or take on the fight. They just prayed. They brought their life before God. Very first response. Now let's look at their prayer. Notice their prayer. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now, whether you know this or not, that is actually a quote out of the Old Testament. In fact, that phrase is used 17 times in the Old Testament to, to, as, a, as the beginning of a prayer or a statement of a song. 17 times. It's a common used description of God in the Scriptures. Now, before we look at what it means, what I want you to catch here is that when they went to pray, the first place their brain went to to anchor themselves was the Scriptures. Their prayer is laced with the Word of God because they need the Word of God to define the moment for them. When we don't turn to the Word of God to define the moment, then our fears, our worries, our anxieties, and our love of controlling everything is what defines the moment, right? Isn't that true? Right? You try to start forcing your own outcomes on life. But here's the reality. He's saying, no, we're going to let the Scriptures do this. So they go back to, the, to, a, to a way that the Old Testament saints began many prayers. Now notice the prayer. It says, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You know, there are two Greek words for Lord. One is just the word Lord, and you could use it like, you know, my Lord, like a, like a leader that type of thing. There's another word that means sovereign Lord, which means like Lord over everything, the one who controls everything. The one who's responsible for everything. Sometimes in our circles or in, in governmental circles around the world, when they have a king, they'll call the king the sovereign. Right? You've heard that? He's the sovereign. What that basically means when you use that against like an earthly king is that they possess 100% responsibility. They're the sovereign. 100% responsible. When used in this context, it means kind of the same thing. The one who's 100% responsible, 100% in control of everything. And in fact, he's so in control. Notice, he made heaven, he made earth, and he made the sea, and he made everything. All of creation. Now, why begin your prayer that way? I think that's a great place to anchor yourself. When an earthly authority comes to you and tells you that if you, if you preach Jesus, I'll kill you, it's easy to think... That that authority who has the gun, so to speak, and has the ability to throw you in jail, and has the ability to do horrible things to you, and possesses more power over you than you have over them, it's easy to think that they have all the power, that they're the sovereign, right? Wouldn't it be easy at that moment to think that the religious authorities have the sovereign rule over the earth? Because they're the ones exercising this authority, they're the ones that arrested these guys, they're the ones that could put another kangaroo court together and kill Peter and John. And eventually, this court will kill these guys. Peter will be hung on a cross. John will be sentenced to the island of Patmos and be dipped in hot tar and be tortured by these people. It'd be easy to think that they possess all authority, but the first place they went to is they said, wait a minute, 
We are going to deliver our prayer to the one who made heaven, the one who made earth, the one who really is in control of everything. And when your mind is anchored in the scriptures, your mind then becomes anchored in the sovereignty of God. If you, if you really unpack the word of God, say, I want to know it and understand it and live it and breathe it in and out of me, then there is no way to ever walk away from that thinking God is not sovereign, does not possess all control over everything. So they're anchored in the word of God. They come to the realization that he is the one who is in control. But then their prayer goes further. Because now they're praying and they're still in the scriptures. Their mind is still being governed by the scriptures. And notice what they do. Look at verse 25. And through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. Psalm 2, one of my favorite psalms. David says, why do the nations fight each other? They fight because, not just because they're angry at each other, they actually fight because they want to have the authority Jesus has. People fight because they hate Jesus. They don't want him to be sovereign Lord over all creation. They don't want that. They want to do it. Hitler wanted to rule the world. Stalin wanted to rule the world. All these people want to rule the world. But there's only one ruler over the world, and it's Jesus. And every time that you start fighting for that authority and that control, what are you saying? I want the authority. I want it, right? If you're fighting for control over something, what you are saying is, Jesus, I don't want you to have control. I want it. You see, it's all a battle against Jesus because he's the sovereign Lord over all creation. He's the sovereign Lord over everything. Why do the nations rage? Because they don't want Jesus to rule. That's why the nations rage. And so the first place their brain goes to, they allow the scriptures to define the moment for them. We were thrown in prison, not because these guys are just bad guys, not because God is bringing pain our way because he's just this vindictive God and we're these good people and we don't deserve to be doing this. The, you know, this shouldn't be happening to us. Why do bad things happen to good people? Right? They weren't going down that road. They were saying, you know why we're in this situation? Because people hate Jesus. That's why we're in this situation. We're in a situation because people do not want to be under the rule and the authority of the sovereign Lord Jesus Christ. That's where their brain goes. That's what's giving them an anchor moment. And they recognize something. If we're going to face this situation, we've got to let the scriptures define it for us. And then notice how they took the reality of the sovereign lordship of Jesus and the fact that this, this situation is because people are fighting Jesus. Notice how they interpret it in their own, how they understand it. Use this to give them hope. Look at verse 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you have anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So they're reflecting on Psalm 2 in their prayer. They're reflecting on the fact that the nations raised to go up against Jesus. They said, and that's exactly what happened in Jerusalem a few months ago. We had everybody. We had Herod, we had Pilate, we had Roman soldiers, we had Jews, and they were all attacking Jesus. 
But none of this was outside of your control. Look at verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. That's why they begin the prayer, Sovereign Lord. This is your will. This is your plan. Even their attacking of Jesus was under your control. Hence, your attacking of us. Their attacking of us is under your control. The chaos of this moment is not outside of the lordship of Christ and the the plan of the Father. Do you see what's going on here? They're under this huge pressure. And what they do is they bring that pressure to the sovereignty of God and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And they rest there. That's where they rest. They just take a moment and say, oh. the scriptures interpret their moment for them. And they find their comfort in the sovereignty of God and the lordship of Jesus Christ. So as a result of resting there, look at verse 29. This is why I said, remember, boldness it's not a spiritual gift it's a fruit it's a fruit so if you're resting in the sovereignty of god that it's his world if you're resting in the fact that he controls all the events of everything that's going on and that really all the wars and the fighting is against the lordship of jesus christ it's not even till don't take it personal they're fighting jesus they're not fighting you okay if all of that is true then notice how how they how they finish their prayer verse 29 And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Okay. God, here's what they say. I mean, this is a pretty powerful statement. Even though they're threatening to kill us, make us... Fill us with boldness so that we continue to do it and then do more miracles so that Jesus could be proclaimed even greater so that we could speak about him even greater. God, ramp it up. That's what they're praying. Ramp it up. I know they're threatening us, but that's okay. You're sovereign and Jesus is Lord and they can't stop it. They can't stop it. So ramp it up is their prayer. Man, I I don't think you'll ever pray that prayer unless you believe the Scriptures and what the Scriptures declare about the sovereignty of God and the Lordship of Jesus. Boldness is a fruit of the belief that that the Father is sovereign over all creation. And Jesus is Lord over all creation. If you are not convinced of that, you will never pray for boldness. You will always pray to be, to, to, for escape. For, get me out of this. You just, that we won't. But how do you become convinced? I think you become convinced of the sovereignty of God and the lordship of Jesus. First, by, by, by the Spirit of God opening your eyes to see it and then grounding ourselves in the Scriptures, which is the key, I think. You can, it's clear that they were grounded in the Word of God. They've got, the, the, and you think about it, they've got the sovereignty of God and the Lordship of Jesus, and they're just getting this all from the Old Testament. 
I mean, they're just just anchored in this. And as a result, they can pray, God, ramp it up, man. Ramp it up. Proclaim Jesus more and help us to do that. Now, God answered their prayer right away. Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Right? The Spirit comes upon them. And all of a sudden, they were filled. Now, you notice something, by the way, this idea of the filling. You're going to see the filled with the Spirit used a fair amount of time in the Old Testament. But you'll only see, like, a baptism. Baptism is seen usually as a one-time event. The baptism of the Spirit comes when somebody places faith, boom, they're baptized. Filling occurs continually. And, and, and you might have actually experienced that in your life. You say, well, when would I have experienced that? You ever been in a situation where somebody needs help, they ask you a question, you answer the question, and you go, wow, that's pretty good, I didn't know that. Never have that? Right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, something comes out of your mouth, and you're like, wow, that's good. You know? i got to write that down. I didn't know that. As it's coming out, I'm learning. I'm taking notes. That's that moment. The Spirit of God is speaking to the heart of someone, and He's just using you. Filling just means controlling you. Controlling you. This is why Paul said in Ephesians, listen, I don't want you... To be filled with alcohol, I want you to be filled with the Spirit. I don't want you to be under the, the dominance of alcohol where that takes over you because when that takes over you, dumb things happen. I want you filled with the Spirit so that you can use your words rather than singing dumb songs that hurt people. You could be singing great songs that build people up. So that's literally what Ephesians is saying. I want that tongue to be under the control of the Spirit. It won't be under the yuckiness of alcohol, right? That's the idea of filling and controlling. So he's saying, they're saying, God... They're coming after us. You can imagine they were probably a little afraid. God, make us bold. Spirit comes. They are bold. And they walk out proclaiming Jesus with boldness. It's a powerful moment. So, here's what we have here. What was one of the virtues we see in the church? First virtue is they really did have faith in the Word of God. What do I mean by that? Faith that the Father is sovereign, that Jesus is Lord. They believed that, anchored their life on it. They let the Word of God inform that. So when the trials come, man, they're just anchored all in. But there's a second thing that you're going to see here. There's a second thing that you see. There's also love for the people of God. There's also love for the people of God. Because because usually what you're going to see in Acts is that faith and love run together. They run together. How can you have faith in God and be devoid of love when the whole point is that he loves the world so much that he sends his son to die for the world? To redeem people and wash people and make them clean and then leaves us here to proclaim the message of God's love. It's kind of hard to do that if you're filled with hate for people, right? Very hard to advance the gospel if hatred and bitterness owns your heart. So what you're going to see is faith and love are two virtues that just run parallel in Acts. And so all of a sudden now, they're responding with boldness, but notice what else they're responding with. In fact, there's three things we're going to see in these couple of verses here. Three things we're going to see. That that there was unity, boldness, and giving. These three things kind of show up in the way they treat each other. Notice that first thing I want to show you is that they were a unified group. Look at verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul 
And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now, that's a really powerful statement. It's been a misunderstood statement. We're going to try to hopefully clarify some things. Some people read this and they think, communism, right? There you go. There's there's the reality of communism, socialism, whatever. They, They go there. But this isn't a political ideology. This isn't some political ideology. This is actually unity. It is actually the description of what it means to be unified. To be unified with somebody means that you break down all distinctions between you and them. They just don't exist anymore. It's the natural result of saying, if I am in Christ and you are in Christ, then we're both in Christ. And if we're both in Christ and there's only one Christ, then we're one. We're in the same family. Well, then if we're all part of the same family, then this is our Bible, not my Bible. It's not because of some political ideology, right? The best economic system in the world is common. We're not talking about that. What we're talking about is the way I view you. We're talking about my understanding of you, your understanding of me. And I recognize something, that if you need my Bible and I give it to you, I'm I'm technically not losing ownership of it. It's staying in the family. It's our Bible. You use it. It's in the family. If I need it back, I'll ask you. It's our Bible. This is what he's saying. They, They understood now, whoa, we are now part of Jesus. And therefore, things are in common by the very nature of the way that it is. It's a, you know, if you want to really put it down at a street level thing, I just want you to picture this. Come home, especially if you have family. So we'll just talk about like a, I come home to my house with a 50-pound bag of M&M's. What is the instinct of everybody in the home? We have M&M's, right? Am I right? No one says, wow, Dad has 50 pounds of M&M's. They're going to say, you shouldn't eat all that, Dad. Here, come bring it over here, right? You know, you're not going to take all that for yourself. Or you could even put it down on another level, right? It's lunchtime. Pull out a bag of chips. They're on the table. Somebody starts eating them. Wait, hey, don't eat them all because they're ours. It's ours, right? That's, we get that in the, in, the, in the micro unit. What he's saying is they got it on a macro level. We're one people, man. If we're all in Christ. I, you get the idea. I'm kind of beating this thing hard here. But that's, that's the picture there. They were unified. Now notice what else was going on. Out of this kind of unified heart, there was a boldness that emerged. You see the fruit of it, verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus And great grace was upon them all. What's he saying? The apostles didn't back down from this moment. They stood with courage to do what was right and proclaim the very message that could possibly get them killed. And with the exception of one of them, they all were martyred for this message. They stood bold. They stood bold. And they proclaimed the very message that the religious leaders say, don't proclaim. So they didn't try to whitewash it. They didn't try to manipulate it. They didn't try to massage the message. They didn't kind of play little mental games. They stood there and said, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He is Lord of heaven and earth. I know you hate the message, but it's true. And they stood there, and the apostles showed courage to do that. And grace was upon them, which meant that they had the ability to do it, the understanding to do it, 
the compassion to do it. I mean, they were just being driven by their love of the mission. But then I want you to notice the third thing. There was a giving spirit. And we're going to explain this here because this, I think, will be helpful. Notice verse 34. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were, were owners of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Jeff will be up front taking care of deeds, because I assumed you all brought your deeds to sell it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> what, is, what are they saying here? Okay? What is it? And, and how do you take this? Like, what's the take-home of this? If you own land, sell it Monday. Right? Is that the take-home? No. That's not, that's not directly the take-home. Okay? What's the point of it? Here's, here's the point I want you to get. The sign of a true, functioning, healthy love for others is not a commitment to giving. It's a commitment to people. It's a commitment to people. I hope when you give your money here at the church, when you give your offerings, that you're not doing it for a tax break. I know you get one. But I hope it isn't an economic transaction for you. What I hope it is, is a love to see the gospel extend as deeply and as widely as we can extend it. As deeply as we can here to the people right here in our sphere and as widely as we can to the farthest reaches of the world. And I hope that we share that commitment and we'd say, I am so committed to people. I'm so committed to the needs of others that whatever I can do to help meet that need, I would do. Even in this case, what did it mean for some of those people? It meant selling their land. But you see, the, the, if, you, if I were to say the take-home is, you're all not giving enough. I looked at the giving statements, we're way low, right? If, if that were the take-home, that's the wrong take-home. That's the wrong point. The point isn't how much you're giving to the church. Right? If, if everybody doubled their giving, I still don't think we'd be honoring God. But if everybody said, I am so committed to people in this church that whatever the need is, I'll meet it. Now we're getting there. Because they weren't committed to giving, actually. They were committed to people. They saw a need and they met the need. Now the needs in that day were great because there were not a lot of infrastructure systems to help people. Think about a world where you have no hospitals. Think about that. Think about a world where you either owned land or you were a slave. And there was just minimal employment for non-slaves. Minimal, there were some. But you had to own something. Even if it was small, a small little shop. You either were a business owner or a slave. Think about just a world where the, the systems were set up where people could not be cared for. As a result, the needs were monumental. And therefore, they stepped up in a monumental way. But the focus point is this. Their commitment was to others. Why? Because they had everything in common. You were part of my family. And that's how the text sets it up. We recognize you're part of my family. And hey, man, you know, it's not like I'm going to let my kid 
starve, right? If they're dehydrated, if we're on a long bike ride, one of them's dehydrated, laying there, passing out on the ground. Ooh, sorry, should have brought water with you. I brought water. Ooh, it's good. Right? I'm not going to do that. Right? My water's going in my kid's body. That's exactly what's going to happen. All of you would do that. Because you're all one. It's your child. That's what he's saying. That he sets it up that way, and therefore, whatever the need is, we meet it. That's, that's, that's the commitment. Now, the reason why I'm pointing all this out to you is that faith in the Word of God, that faith in the Word of God, and that love for the people of God, when those two things become the driving virtues, then boldness becomes a fruit. It's just, it's, it, it, it's, it's, you, you end up having to be committed to this. And you start saying, God, make us more bold. Make us more bold. Make us more bold in our love for others. Make us more bold in our proclamation of Jesus. Right? Make us bold, God. We believe you're in control. God, we believe you're in control. We believe you died for these people. I believe we're one with them. Embolden my love for, for people. Embolden my, my confidence and my boldness in the preaching of the gospel. Just embolden me. Okay. So, what do we do with this? Let's wrap it up here. I want to make just a few observations and then one application. Observations I've already made, but just to kind of take them home here. First observation is this. When the church faced persecution, they prayed. It's an obvious observation, but it's an important one nonetheless. Because it's easy when everything breaks down to run to everything but God. God is oftentimes can be the last resort when our wisdom fails us. Because that's kind of oftentimes where we want to go, I think. Our flesh at least wants us to go there. Second observation. Notice that they allowed the word of God to define their reality. Right? So that they would then submit to the will of God. They, they, they let the word of God define the moment for them. They didn't define it themselves. They didn't say, it's unfair. Why, why are you putting us with these kind of political leaders? Why? After all we did, we followed Jesus for three years. We did everything. We gave up our nets. We gave it all up, God. Why would you bring this to us now? Why don't you wipe those people out? They didn't whine about it. They just said, okay, the word of God says there's going to be resistance to the gospel. This is resistance. That's what the word of God told us. Don't whine about it. God made it pretty clear. It's going to be a struggle till you die. And then when I come back, I'll bring justice. So fight for the gospel. Let me bring justice. Stay in the game is what he's saying. Stay in it. That's what the word of God says. They, they, and, and they, so they allowed the word of God to define their reality. And therefore, when the resistance came, they prayed for boldness. And they, they got this boldness because they believed in the sovereignty of God. They believed in the lordship of Jesus Christ. Which is what the next observation they submitted to. They submitted to God's sovereignty when they prayed for boldness. And finally, they had a fundamental commitment to each other. Right? So these are these things that were there that you just see in the text. This was their, their virtues. So what's the application? The application, I'll set it up and then I'll tell you what it is. The application, I think, is going to drive us to one simple reality. How grounded in the scriptures are we? Right? Do we know enough? Would we know enough? Would, 
You know, would I know enough at that moment to go to Psalm 2? Would I know enough at that moment to pray, Sovereign Lord, ruler of heaven and earth? Is, is, do my instincts lead me to, to, to allow the word of God to be the defining moment, the anchoring moment of my life? That's really the question we have to ask. Sometimes I think we, we get led astray because we have so many health books in our culture. It's easy to say, I need to find that book that defines it for me. It's just easy to kind of use a secondary source before we anchor in the primary source. And it's easy. And then, of course, you know, top it off, Wikipedia, right? You can put any problem in Wikipedia. How do you solve emotional problems? Boom, there's a Wikipedia article on it. There's like information everywhere. And it's right there. It's on your phone. It's like you can download books. And if I gave you a book title, 50% of you'd have it downloaded before I finished telling you the author's name, right? Just be on your Kindle right away, downloading it. It's right there. It's at our fingertips. As a result, sometimes it, it drives us away from that anchoring of the word. So what's the application directly? I just kind of have four things that come out of this. Let's submit to the scriptures. Let's see the sovereign Lord of the scriptures. Let's see God's perspective on our trials. Let's pray for boldness. I mean, this is what it is. God, I want to submit. I want to be in your scriptures. I want to understand what it means that you're sovereign. And I want you to give me perspective so that I could pray for boldness and love others, really. That's what it comes down to. So that's the challenge. What makes a guy like Derek Carver stand at, on his deathbed, being burned alive, proclaiming Jesus? I'll tell you what it is. It is a fundamental love of Jesus. That's what it is. Guys, he knows Jesus is Lord. He knows God is sovereign. And he loved those people enough. He was willing to, on his deathbed, instead of focusing on himself, proclaim the gospel to them so they wouldn't go to hell. He had a love for others to the end. I think we could all do that. Because it's not a spiritual gift. It's a fruit of a commitment. Let's pray. Father, it's good to be in your word it's good to be reminded of faith and love it's good to be reminded you are sovereign Jesus is Lord that we have the ability to be committed and part of a family and to love others Lord I pray that those would be our commitments in our life Lord, there are people here today, all of us, we need to be reminded our problems are not sovereign. Our situations are not sovereign. Governments are not sovereign. You're sovereign. You appoint things. You allow things to happen. You made it clear that trials and difficulties are going to be the path through which we inherit the kingdom of heaven. So God, let us not freak out, but find comfort in knowing that you are working all things to your, your glory and your end. Let us remember that, that really when people war, they're fighting Jesus because they want authority that, God, that you haven't given to them, that you've only bestowed on Jesus. So Lord, keep us bold to do what's right, to proclaim Christ. But at the same token, the message we proclaim is a message of redemption, of forgiveness, of love. And so Lord, let that control our hearts. 
Lord, break down the, 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 any of the, the boundaries and the walls that, that we so quickly build as humans. And to not be committed to things for economic reasons or for tax benefit reasons, but let us just be committed to people. Move our hearts to have all things in common so that the very love with which we show to each other would be the very love that we can put on display for the world with boldness. And Lord, I pray that this would be true of us, that we'd see this commitment and that you would do a remarkable miracle in allowing us to love deeply here and proclaim widely your glory. In Christ's name, amen.